Glad you're here today. God's glad you're here, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Pastor Steve has started the first part of September sharing different aspects of souls. And today, it's my privilege to be able to go into the Word of God and look at what the Word has for us in regard to the destination of where souls go. Today's title is, What the Rich Man Wanted. The church now needs. In Luke chapter 16, verses 22 through 23, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. We want to just be very clear about this, that these are the words of our Savior. These are not just a prophet that maybe was having a bad day, or this is somewhere that someone in the New Testament was writing about. This is what Jesus had to say. It's important for us to understand that he gives credibility to the aspect of when we speak of that aspect of hell. And where that place of where souls go that do not serve Christ. Even within Mark chapter 9 verses 43 through 44 and on through, he mentions there, and I'm not going to read it, go to verse 44 if you will, and it says there where the worm does not die and it goes on to say, and the fire is not quenched. Speaking of our eternal destination, if we do not know Christ, Today I want to just make mention to you so that you understand this. Do you realize that hell is probably spoken more by the world than the church today? That word is used more in the world than in the church today. There are pastors that are hesitant to even bring it to the pulpit. They want to be politically correct. They don't want to offend anybody. Well, guess what? That's not going to keep the heat off of you if you miss heaven. All of where my finagling and my finesse is not going to make a bit of difference when God says this is the place prepared for the damned. This is a place for people that do not know me. And so I challenged the people in just the morning service. I said, just in one day, if you're out and about and in places of business... See how many times you hear the word spoken. I'm not kidding you. Isn't it amazing? The church many times, even Christians, they kind of shy away from it. They don't want to get too close to it because they don't want to offend anybody. Within my title today, and I'll leave that to you how you want to address it, but I will say this. If you notice within the title of my message, what the rich man wanted and what the church now needs. It took me until going to probably age 58, 55, somewhere in there, going through divorce and all of that, my sister's daughter, who's a therapist, she put me straight on this. She said, Rodney, and I'll just say to you, that you're, if I turned 64 this year, you are never too old to learn. There's things that you need and we still need to learn. And in that process, she taught me, she said, you need to understand the difference between of what is a want and what's a need. 
you want a fishing pole, you want a rifle, you want a boat, you want a house, you want a car. You know, these are things we want. But do you really need them? The things that we're going to discuss today in this message are going to be things that I believe, and I believe will be bore out from the word that the church needs in this closing hour of time. We need to understand we want a whole lot of stuff, but the things that we should really want and need, we'll kind of just back off from and say, no, I don't need that. That's where we are. I wanted to lay that groundwork because there is that difference. Next, I want to let you understand, because we don't talk and preach a lot about it. You need to understand, I need to understand that in hell, the senses, your eyes, ears, taste, breathe, what you're going to touch, all of these things will not go away. They will be very active in the pits of hell. How do you know that? In verse number 24, verse number 24, I'm not going to read it, but for the sake of time, you'll see. He said, have Father Abraham, just have Lazarus come over here and take his finger, dip it in water, and bring me a drop of water and put it on my tongue because he says, I'm burning up over here. Now, that's my translation. The fact of the matter is he had a taste and could taste and want water to drink. And if you look at verse number 25, we also realize, and I think there is a difference here, but we will remember, the word tells us, a person will remember in hell. He says, do you not remember when you are in your lifetime what was going on with you? He says, you remember that, don't you? The fact of the matter is, when that person, if I were to die and miss heaven and go to hell, I will forever have my memory Bank, full guns, full operation. I believe that there is, maybe others will not agree with this, but I do believe for the believer because of a scripture that's found in Revelation 21 or 22, and it says, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. I believe that God will take away those things, those memories. Yes, we'll be known as we're known, but the fact of the matter is we will not be haunted by what was in the past. But for that person that is in eternal hell, hell was going to be bad enough with the flames and the fire. But for the rest of that person's life, they will for eternity remember everything and it will be illuminated to their minds. They will have their five senses in operation. Let me go on just a little deeper in this. Nothing will be quenched. That drop of water that he wanted did not stop the thirst. It will forever be eternally there in that man's life. But let me go to this. In this present world that we live, if a person shoots up, takes drugs, they do get their high. And then it dissipates. But they do get their high. But that drug craving in the pits of hell, they'll never get their high. It'll never be quenched. That person that's an alcoholic, a boozer, the fact of the matter is they pass out, laid up against the telephone pole somewhere or whatever, there they are. Guess what? They come around, then they go get another fifth and knock themselves out again. I mean, but at least they numb it for a while. In hell, there'll be the taste for alcohol, but you'll never get the drink and you'll have that constant craving. Taking it a step further to the pervert. 
the pedophile, that person that's seeking all kind of ungodly pleasure, that's not going to go away when they go to hell. If anything, it's going to be intensified because there will not be any way of bringing satisfaction. I told the folks this morning, I said, it's a crazy thing. The Super Bowl is not enough for some people. Their appetite goes beyond that. It is the number one day of sex trade trafficking in America. Young girls are trafficked all over America so that men can do whatever. That craving, that desire will never be satisfied. Plus the fact of their bodies constantly feeling the flame of fire that is burning. You say, uh, that don't sound too promising. Well, God's given us a one-way ticket out of here and have to miss all of that. I'm telling us there is torment in the flame. Now, that was my introduction. What he wanted, the church now needs. We're going to look at verses 27 on down through to verse number 30, and I want you to lend me your ears. Then he said, I beg you, another translation says, I pray you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. One of the things that he wanted, and, and understand this, here's a man who got everything he wanted in this life but he couldn't even get a prayer answered in hell. The word of God says, I pray you to send therefore my father. One of the things today, and sometimes it's the last thing, he prayed, he wanted something, but the thing is we need prayer within the church. I made a bold statement in the first service and I'm going to say it again. Next month, we start that corporate prayer on the third Sunday of every month. We got a skeleton crew that shows up on that third Sunday of every month. They're in the crowd that's here today. No, it's not going to be on that Sunday night unless, unless. Well, you know, I want to be there, but you know, that game went into overtime. No, if you need to be there, you'll be there. It's a matter of what I need. It isn't a matter of what I want. This man wanted to have prayer. The church of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, we can't save one soul, we can't heal one body. But I can tell you this, God has already said to us, if we will call upon him, he will answer. I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. I, I know the place where 29 and 460 cross. I was passing through there and God spoke to me and he said, Rodney, I want you to know you can't tell me what to do. I said, I, I, pretty much I know that. But he says, I've given you the privilege to ask me. And it's all through the word. Ask, ask, ask. We as believers need to see the need. To say, I'm going to start praying and asking God for these. Because he's the only one that's going to do it. Remember what Jesus said in the book of John. And I, I just keep going over and over that verse in my mind. He said, without me, you can do absolutely nothing. I need to stay connected to him, but besides that, I need to be an individual that prays and calls upon him, and I make that a daily thing within my life. Within verse number 27, there is that second aspect that we find. He says, send. I look at you, and you're looking at me this morning, and I want to just say this to you. God is wanting to send each and every one of us. He wants to call us to a place, a mission, to where we can accomplish something for him. 
We'll say, let the pastor do it, let the missionary do it, let the evangelist do it. But I believe that God wants to send you into places that preachers can't get there, evangelists can't get there, but you sit back and say, who, me? Yes, you. God is wanting to raise up an army of people within the house of God that will hear the call and say, I will accept the mission. I will do what he is calling me to do. I heard of one... The wife was telling me yesterday, she ran into one of the folks in, at, at, uh, yesterday somewhere, and uh, this lady was at a yard sale, and it was quite interesting. She was there and walked up to one part of the yard, these all neighborhood yard sale, went up this woman's driveway, and she's sitting there in very frail health, and God spoke to her and said, you need to go pray for her. You need to pray for her. She had to go to three different other yard sales before God said, you better go back and pray for that person. She flipped it around. She walked up her driveway. She says, ma'am, I don't usually do this, but can I pray for you? And she says, do you mind if I just lay my hand on your arm? She says, that will be fine. And she walked away from after that prayer, and she felt so good that she had been obedient to God. God is calling you on a mission. He may not call you to Saudi Arabia or down into South America, but I'm telling you one thing. There are those around you that God has given you as a mission to fulfill, and you have something to, and I'm going to mention that in just a little bit, but he is calling us. He says, send him. And I believe that right here at Lighthouse Assembly of God, God wants to send out men and women that will step up and say, yes, I will do what he has called me to do. That's what the church needs. Verse 28, we need to intercede. What does the word say? For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. We realize that we need to intercede. He heeded the call. He, he wanted it done, but it was too late. But it's not too late for us. God is calling men and women to a place to not only pray, but to intercede. To be in that place of we need this, where we come into that place of saying, Okay, Father, I'm going to ask this more than one time. I'm going to ask this more than one time. I told him in the morning service, I know what interceding is all about. When I was a kid, my, I was just in third or fourth grade, and we was living in Blackstone, Virginia, and, and there was a lady in the church that raised Cocker Spaniels. I wanted a Cocker Spaniel. Dad knew I wanted a Cocker Spaniel. I hound-dogged him. Finally, he gave up and said, okay. God's not sitting up there in heaven and looking down and saying, don't you have something to do? Get away from me. You're bothering me. He don't do that. He's saying to the church, will you please come back for one more trip of interceding at the throne of grace for those things that matter? Well, I, you know, I don't want to... I don't. God's not nervous. God's not busy. He can handle you. You may not be able to handle you, but He can handle you. He can take care of whatever it is that's going on, but He is looking for a people that will step into that role and say, okay, I'm going to intercede for this until finally I hear an answer. A good word for that inner seat is Elijah on Mount Carmel. He had that man run six, seven times looking for a cloud. Did you see anything? No. 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 
You know, after a while, and finally he, he looked out there. He says, I see a cloud the size of a man. That, Elijah said, that's all I need. That's interceding. Well, I asked God one time, and he didn't do nothing. Intercede. Keep going back. If you go one trip to God, well, I've done my duty. No, you haven't done your duty. Get in that thing and intercede. Verse 28, it says that he may testify to them. One of the things that I find interesting is that we need to accept that place of being the witness. We spent a little time this morning on that aspect. There are some people that are hostile witnesses on the stand. And I believe that there are Christians that tend to be hostile witnesses in life because they don't want to testify. It's like pulling teeth. You'll hear attorneys say, Your Honor, we want you to know, let it be on the record that this person that's about to testify is a hostile witness. They are not wanting to be, but we subpoenaed them. They're here. I got news for you. God's not going to grab you by the ear and drag you to one place or the next to give your testimony. But you should be a not hostile witness, but you should be a willing witness. Hallelujah. Let's break that down a little bit this morning. Let's break it down. Let's go this way. If you have a witness on the stand that you know they're lying through their teeth, they're going to have to keep lying. And it's hard for that person because they'll get caught here and caught there and they'll gag on their own saliva because they know they're caught in the middle. But if they're telling the truth, they'll sing like a bird. Church, I'm not asking you to preach. I'm only asking you to testify. I'm not asking you to get them by the collar and say, by God, you better get saved. I'm not saying that either. Uh-uh. Just give your testimony. Just look at him and say, the Lord, look what the Lord's done for me. He's healed my body. He's touched my mind. He's done this. He's done that. You're just giving your testimony. They can't argue with the facts. They can't argue with the truth. All they're going to do is turn and run away, but you're telling them your testimony. You're not preaching to them. I'm just letting you know how good Jesus is. There's people that he wants to send you so that you can just give your testimony. And the fact of the matter is that the more you testify, the stronger you become. I've talked to some guys. I'm picking on the men today. And I've been around some of these old codgers. Have you told your wife you love them lately? Yeah, when I got first married, yeah, I told the woman I loved her. That's enough. She should know it. I don't have to repeat myself. Sound familiar? What it does is she hears a testimony from your heart that I love you. I have all the time in the world at home look at her and say, Honey, I love you. You're wonderful. I thank God for you. She hears it. But, you know, not only does she hear it, I hear me saying it. And it reinforces something in me. See, when you testify to somebody about the goodness of Jesus, not only do they hear it, but you hear yourself saying it, and it makes you stronger, and you're more willing to say it because it's not awkward. But this old boy that never said, I love you, it's like he gags on his own tongue. It's that bad. But if it's something that constantly just flows and rolls off your lips, it's no problem whatsoever. Love you, honey. Go on out the door. It's a testimony. 
When you give your testimony, you don't have to give like so-and-so had this, that. No, leave their testimony. You give your testimony and see what God can do with it. The rich man, he wanted that. Let me tell you something. The church needs that because there are people that pastors will not reach, but you will, and people, they line up to come to that place. This person's legitimate. What's happened and going on in their lives, it's real. And they testified to it. Let's move down to verse number 30. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. In verse number 30, there are two things that we discover that I feel that we need within the church. And that first thing is, he said, No, Father Abraham, if one goes from the dead. He countered what Abraham said. And what that spoke to me of is this, that we need men and women who will plead with God. Plead with God. Is that biblical? Absolutely yes. I believe at the personage of Jesus who came to judge Sodom. And he said, how can I keep anything from Abraham? And Abraham said, and he started with a hundred and he interceded all the way down to ten. And he walked away and he left it in God's hands. I believe that as we had preached, Pastor Steve has been preaching before we got into souls, I believe that the Holy Spirit will take you to that place and cause you to intercede and you will keep interceding until finally the Holy Spirit releases you and says that's good enough. You know what I'm talking about, you that are in the faith. You know that there is a point where you finally, you feel the Holy Spirit. The hand lifts, and God says, I've heard. And then it's all in the hands of God. But you and I, do we really plead with God? Do we really cry out to him? Do we really say, God, it's like a mother who sits on the witness stand and her son or her daughter has been brought before the judge and the jury and she or he has been found with charges of murder, facing either the death penalty or life in prison, and that mother will sit on that stand. She don't care how many tears run down her face and how she wipes her. She is beside herself. Because she's pleading for the life of that child. I'm going to be very bold today. We need to be serious enough to realize that if that son or that daughter, that grandchild, that husband, that wife, that one that we care so much about, if something doesn't change, they're going to split hell wide open. What are you saying, Pastor? When you know that you have pleaded with God and pleaded with God because he's the only one who can save them. Only he can bring them out of the darkness and into the glorious light. But there is a place for you and I as believers to plead and to cry out to God. I remember when I was pastoring in Petersburg, West Virginia. I'll never forget that Sunday night. My dad, our relationship was a little strained. He walks into the church and sits in the very back. There was a table there, and he sat on the chair beside it. I was proud that he was there, like Steve was Sunday morning when his mom was there. And he heard me preach. I can tell you the message that I preached. He come up to the front, and he looked at me. He said, son, that was a good sermon you preached. I'm proud of you. 
I said, thanks, Dad. And the people were there at the altar praying, so I said, I'll get up with him later. The next time I seen my dad was on a Wednesday in intensive care in Romney, West Virginia. Actually, it was on a Tuesday night. He died on that Wednesday. Slipped into eternity. The point I'm making is we sat back just like I did on that Sunday night. If I knew that that was really the last time he could stand in front of me because he was laying on the flat of his back the next time I seen him. I'd have grabbed him by the neck, kissing him, hugging him. I didn't know. You and I don't know, even within 24 hours, things can change so drastically. I look at the obituaries and I see the newspapers, and it's amazing, 35-year-old, 25-year-old people that are dying. Where is it at with your children? Where is it at with your wife, your husband? Where is it at with those ones you care so much about? Do you really plead with God and say, God, I want an answer, Lord? And the last thing that I picked up on as I was putting this message together, he says, but if one goes, the thing is, will I be the one? You know what that shows to me? Here is a man, even though he was in hell, he had faith. If you send him, I believe my brother's lives will be changed. Church, we're here. It can happen. We have it. But God is looking for those people of the faith that will use their faith and say, God, I know it will happen. I believe it. I'm not going to run from it. I stand and believe this man could use his faith standing right in the pits of hell. I'm praying that Lighthouse Assembly of God will use its faith right here standing in the pews of this church. In the front seat of an automobile going down the road that we will use the faith that God has given us. Here's the message in case you don't know what to say. You need to look at people and tell them. No one deserves hell. We choose to go there. No one deserves hell. I don't want to be that person that... Looking at them, yeah, give it to them, God. No, no one deserves hell. We choose to go there. How many bus drivers do we have here in the service? School bus drivers. One, two, anyone else? I travel 322 coming home from work every day, Monday through Friday. I get by probably Pastor Joe's house, and I usually meet a bus. She's rolling down the road, and so... I asked uh, Sue about it. I said, so she make two loads? Yep, she drops one load off, turns around and goes back to another place and picks up another load. God just kind of spoke into my life. He says, uh, when the trumpet sounds and I come back, he says, there's not going to be two bus loads. There's only going to be one load going out. The rest are going to be left behind. And the fact of the matter is, I don't want to see any of those people that I care for and love for left behind. The last thing that I want to share with you is that there is a place for you. Zach was standing there at the very end of the pew, and he had his two daughters with him, cute little buttons that was with him, and they were juggling back and forth to try to get to Zach's side, to get near him. And they was trying to, one would worm in and the other would push him back, and they was just doing this saute back and forth. I thought that was the cutest thing. I almost tapped Zach on the shoulder and said, will you move down a little bit so both girls can be at your side? And then it was then the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, 
you need to realize, Rodney, that for everyone that comes, there's always a place for them at my side. They don't have to jostle and try to find that place. I've got a place ready for them. They're welcome to come, and they can get close to me, and I'll get close to them. They don't have to push someone else out of the way. I've made room for them, and they're welcome to be there. That's what we need to tell them. There's a place for you. I want us to be very mindful that you and I as believers become very conscious. Just like I said, the rich man, what he wanted is what the church now needs. I really feel in my heart the trumpet's going to sound soon. And we're going away from here. I was about, mm, my dad I think was probably pastoring in Bedford Valley. When he made a statement, I remember he said, Billy Graham's wife back in the day said, if God soon does not send revival to America or rapture the church, he's going to have to apologize to Solomon Gomorrah. Now that's been a lot of years. That's back in the 60s. A lot of things have gone through, and we're that much closer to his appearing. Church, will you please testify? Church, will you still see the need to pray? Will you still bring yourself to that place to plead with God? I don't beg nobody for nothing. I'll tell you that. Okay, fine. So you want to see a soul fry in hell, and your pleading with God could have made the difference. And I'm being very bold here. God is calling us out to that place. Recognize the need that we have as a church. That man wanted those things but could never get them. You and I have a time right now to take what he wanted, becomes our need, and we'll say, I will do that for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Father, I'm asking you right now that you'll speak deep into our hearts and help us to awaken to that place that we need to be in you. As the old song of the church that said, there are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. God, I'm asking that you would help us to be that light today. Father, I pray that you'll raise up men and women to serve you, to honor you. God, help us to realize and to change the things that we may want to do. Change us now, God, to that place of where we see it as a desperate need, to where we move into that place of saying, God, here am I. Send me. And God, for your honor and for your glory, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen.